Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Idle Chatter. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the Hot Rod Farmer. And I'm coming to you, as always, from Cat Swamp Road. And I am uh, still a little bit under the weather, I should say. So I'm asking you for your forgiveness as we move through the show. And uh, I'm going to stop right now. Let's see if we can stop this. All righty, I'm hopefully back. Hopefully that <laughs> that, that worked. Uh, this soundboard my roadcaster has a pause button on it so i don't have to put the dragster on and i don't know it never it never seemed to uh to work isn't as, as i'm not going to say intuitively as uh responsively as i had hoped to and that is why i uh did not i do not use it because sometimes it actually erases everything and restarts all over again but they've had different firmware updates over the years so i figured i would try it i'm only a couple of seconds into the show if it's messed up it's messed up so if it didn't if i can't tell at this particular point so if it um, did something and uh, not too kosher then i ask you to please forgive me so it's hard to believe but we are into 2023 you know i was gonna say 2013 i was coming down to my office i said okay but i can't believe it's 2013 already boy it shows you where my mind is 2013 that's 10 years ago now frightening 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 and then i was uh i was thinking about it excuse me that uh you know if, if it were not for covid then my fiesta would probably uh, it doesn't have much it only has like 220 on it now so if it we're not for covid i'd say covid and this and it would probably have close to 400,000 miles on let's say 350 375 now so uh, it's amazing how that whole covid deal shutting the whole world down and in uh, from my way of thinking as a pandemic and we won't go there not a, and uh, it really impacted i don't think there's anybody who really was not impacted in some way shape or form by it my w- wife and i were blessed being on the farm that we really didn't have to deal with it i mean i didn't have to deal with it i mean she would go grocery shopping and what have you and she have to deal with all that mask routine and garbage and wait outside and what have you i mean to it but it it certainly did affect my business i'm not gonna i mean i'd be lying if i said it didn't all right and uh, just i just started the uh well i shouldn't say just started the podcast but the the podcast was just getting going and kind of knocked everybody back on their heels so but it's 2023 now not 2013 and um i'm and i guess like anything in life is a uh a silver lining to every cloud right so as far as not having the better part of 400,000 miles on my fiesta i um, do not need to have a, get a new car and to me that's a mixed bag because number one is that when i got my fiesta i said well i'm not going to keep this thing three four hundred thousand miles like i did my escort five hundred thousand miles because i want to have a couple new cars in my lifetime before i'm too old to give it on and then the um but on the flip side of it i'm glad i don't have that kind of mileage on my fiesta yet because there's nothing and i've said this before there's absolutely nothing out there that i desire 
I mean, there's nothing. It's amazing how in the past five to ten years how they've taken the automobile industry to my way of thinking. And I'm a car guy. I mean, a hot rod farmer. We're going to be discussing that today. And I've loved cars and new cars and machinery my whole life since a little kid. And I used to dream. Uh, I remember even as a little kid, we'd go into town and my father would take me to the couple of car deals we had, like in September, October, get all the brochures. I'd come home, I would uh, dream about them. We'd go to the tractor dealer and uh, and get parts or something. I'd come home with the brochures. I remember I dreamt about what kind of tractor I was going to have on the farm, what kind of crop I was going to have. And, uh, and uh, it was just, just wonderful, wonderful memories and that I don't honestly know, and hopefully I'm wrong, that people of the same age when I was, and I'm not using myself as a metric or a standard to measure other to measure others by, but that they have those same aspirations, those same dreams, those same hopes, and uh, and I want I didn't I never wanted anything for nothing. I never even liked if my parents if my parents gave and we were not rich by no means. And, uh, you know, if my parents gave us as growing up, gave us a couple of dollars at Christmas time or for our birthday or something, I mean, a couple of dollars, I mean, a couple of dollars, right? That I would always save it because I, I wanted to work. I wanted to earn what I had. I wanted, I, I didn't want somebody giving me something. So, or I would give it to an animal charity or something with it. But anyway, but there's, uh, there's nothing out there anymore. I mean, how I would say really in the past 10 years, they've done uh, so much to degrade the desire of anything automotive-wise to an enthusiast that I never thought that that would, that, would ha- that would happen. I mean, if I hit the lottery tomorrow, and I could see, you could say, well, you can buy any car you want, any truck you want to hit, the, I, there's nothing I would want literally i mean i would have to buy something and i've said this to you before and i should have to buy something out of practical sense if my fiesta dies or it gets too old and is not reliable anymore but there's nothing out there that i would want so uh or aspire to would be uh almost almost just like an appliance like a washing machine but I was so excited about our first washing machine when we got married. My 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 Iowa a manor Iowa built Maytag Neptunes, real Maytags, right? Nep- John Maytag was a farmer, dairy farmer, and I understand that they still have. I guess one part of the family still has a uh, dairy farm. I think they sell cheeses. But anyway, I may be wrong about that. But I do have a listener to the podcast that lives in that area. Uh, Mr. Joel Rand, and uh, he could correct me if I'm wrong whether the Maytag family still has a farm in that neck of the woods and around the Amana, Iowa, Newt, I think it was Newton, Iowa, was where they made the washing machines because it's in Newton, New Jersey, not far from here. But anyway, I'm rambling off into into nowhere land, uh, and uh, but it does have. Uh, hopefully, you'll see that there is some some sort of method to my madness. But as I start to say, uh, there's nothing out there that I would want, and if I did was blessed to hit the lottery which would not happen whatsoever because i don't play the lottery so you can't you can't uh you can't win it if you don't play right so i'd have to find the winning ticket on the floor someplace but then i would say to myself well somebody won this i gotta find who it is and give it back to them but um 
I wouldn't I wouldn't know what to buy. And even I would I would actually toy with the idea of getting an older vehicle and not what they call resto modding it where you take like a an older car and you put a modern engine in it and modern transmission and what have you <coughs> excuse me but uh actually restored but then the problem is is that the parts are all junk they're all from china so uh it's you know, people say, well, that's the way they broke down back then. No, they didn't break down back then. The parts you're buying today are junk, and that's why you, that's why it's breaking down. So who knows? But in the scheme of life, that's absolutely nothing to be concerned with. And uh, I guess in some ways it's probably even a blessing in disguise because uh, it changes your focus. Because being a car guy, I could really focus on machinery, right, and, uh, and dream about it and... Uh, I would have you, which is not obviously necessarily bad, but you don't want it to take over your life and your focus and become your God. So, but now we are, as I start to say, into 2023, not 2013, as I thought I was coming down the stairs. But, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> excuse me, uh, I, I want to change some stuff up with idle chatter and uh and uh, you know as a hot rodder as a farmer as a as a person as a as a christian you always look to try to to improve what you're doing you try to make things better and there's a couple of things that i want to try to change up on idle chatter and i need your input from it all right and as time goes on i'm not going to reveal them all right now in this, in this episode but one thing I would like to do is I would like to make a concerned effort to keep the show around an hour, hour and two minutes, whatever, something like that, not to babble on for so long. And I, I certainly appreciate you, know, you sticking with me, excuse me, and listening to it, all right? And I have to become, and not wander so much and become more concise in what I'm saying so I could try to bring that show back in. And, and honestly, no one has told me that I need to do that. But when I do look at the timer, for instance, I'm 10 minutes into this already, and look at the timer, then I said to myself, well, you know, I went too long again today, went too long today. But you have to know me, and that's leading into what we're going to be doing today, is that I try to give 120%. And even when I cut it back, or even when I uh, those extended length shows, is that I feel when I you know shut the microphone off. So oh, I should have said this. Oh, I should have told him about this. I should have told. And I have to realize that that's not the case. I can't give you an education on on a whole every aspect of a whole topic within an hour. And something that would you maybe take a seminar it took two days or at least a day or a few hours to discuss. <coughs> excuse me and please forgive my my sickness my illness here and uh so that's that's basically that that i try to do i try to do too much and then that kind of spawned the idea of me doing multi-part shows and i did that and you know on it's like like Henry Ford used to say, "Let's try it and find out." And then early on in the state, in early days of idle chatter, I think I did uh, one or two multi-part shows, two-part shows. And uh, <coughs> excuse me, I'm just going to grab a drink of water. I'm not going to hit that pause button. 
I don't trust that sucker. But anyway, that um, I did that and it seemed to work out well. So I want to try to do to maybe you know make the show a two-parter instead of a one-parter. Not all the time because you don't want to have that. But if there's something I really want to delve into, then we could possibly try that. And then the other thing is that what I wanted to do, and I wanted to do this probably from its inception of the show, Idle Chatter, and I wanted to do to talk more about some hot rod stuff. And now it's not going to be every week because the audience, I'm blessed with a very eclectic audience, and I certainly recognize that everybody doesn't have the same passion, even though you're sharing a passion for machinery, but you may have no interest in hot rodding whatsoever. But what had happened was that, uh, and that's why I always ask you guys for pins in the map and to get and feedback from you, because I sincerely want to make this show and my radio show on Sirius XM truly what you need, what you want, what you desire. And I had a listener reach out to me, long-term listener. He, <coughs> excuse me, he asked, to not be identified, and I, I will certainly respect that. And he he wrote me a nice note, and uh, he said that he would like for me to consider and to do a show. And I don't have I should I have his his note right here in the drawer, but he wanted to be he wanted me to do a show that discusses some hot rod terms. So and I said this is something that I played with. Uh, early on and i never really I, I i never really went down that road but he was the catalyst for me to think about that in the higher at a higher level and to say to myself well maybe i should consider doing that so that is what we're going to do but i'm going to give you a little bit of background on that beyond what i just told you is that I am going to start today, and this is going to be part one of a show about hot rod terms. And his letter to me was basically saying that he reads different magazines and he reads different terms. And he's, even though he's very mechanically inclined and the mechanic and works on farm equipment and cars and what have you, that there's like anything in life, there's terms that you're not you're not familiar with, right? I mean, there's terms I'm not familiar with within the same community. So. He wanted me to, to do that. And then what I have found from my years in the magazine business and from teaching seminars, if I were to teach a seminar and uh, if one person had that question, then, <coughs> excuse me, a lot of others had that same question. They just weren't brave enough to voice it. And we had to drink water. Hopefully this throat holds out a little bit better than it is i think i'm gonna do a little bit of drags to here and and clean try to clear it out hold on please yeah ready i'm back sorry about that guys and uh so I know if one person has that question, then usually a lot of others do, maybe not the whole class. So I think that there's probably a need for, I believe that there is a need and a relative interest 
of what this gentleman proposed to me about going over his, and his words that he he coined the phrase hot rod term so we're going to use that so this is what i'm planning to do and without any f- planning to do without any further ado and i'm going to ask you guys a couple of favors so what i'm going to do is i'm going to start a multi-part series it's going to be an ongoing series so this is going to be part one of hot rod terms and then it's not going to be every week it may not be every month it may be five or six of them a year ten of them a year who knows all right (coughs) as the (coughs) excuse me as the uh you think i worked in a coal mine or something but um as the uh, as the year progresses so and then what because the because of it being a podcast and having the archives for you to go back to the thing is that someone could go and scan and say oh there's part one hot rod terms then two months later or six whatever it may be there's part two hot rod terms so the thing is that they're gonna they're always gonna be it's gonna be part one part two part three so far and it's always gonna be a titled hot rod terms and this way you could go back into the archives and listen to those and cherry pick them they're not going to be hidden someplace where you say oh what, what, you know, what's going on here and then also it's going to not be a burden to those that excuse me may not have the same level of, of interest to learn about hot rod terms now so that basically is that so now from your end what i'm going to do is ask you to email me at hotrodfarmer at farmmachinerydigest.com and let me know after the first or second episode of this This is the first one today next week is going to be a regular idle chatter not hot rod terms whatever a regular idle chatter is today even who knows i don't know and then uh and if you have some terms that you want me to explain or reveal, then just give them to me, and I'll make a running list of it. And once I make this, and as I make this running list, I will start to answer those ter- questions. <coughs> answer those. Excuse me. And uh, and then we could go from there. Now, keep in mind that the terms could be very broad-based. They're going to be your questions that you want to ask me, and they're also going to be what I feel that you may want to know. So it's going to be a a, a marriage, a marriage of what I feel you might be interested in, and then actual questions from somebody. Let's say, uh, like, so you uh joe i'll make up a name joe schmo from from billings montana wants to know about piston quench all right so the thing is that or you may come to me and send me a question and say well i really want to understand the difference between a chassis dyno and a engine dyno or whatever so whatever it may be or a solid roller cam a solid cam and a, and, a, and a hydraulic camshaft so they're going to be all over the map and then each show is not going to follow one theme so we may have four or five questions on in in the, in each episode and they're going to be all over it's not it's not going to necessarily have continuity where they're going to work hand in hand so it's not going to be a uh, a phd thesis <coughs> excuse me and then obviously so I'm going to ask you to do that, and then tell me whether you want to be announced and say, "Hey, this is Joe Joe Clark from from Cedar Grove, New Jersey. I want to know about the piston quench or whatever." Or is this gentleman chose not to be 
announced. And that was strictly for his religious beliefs, so which I honor. So that is what we're going to do. And we're going to try it. And like Henry Ford says, we'll try it and see how it goes. So uh, maybe next month I'll do another one. But out of respect to this listener, he wrote me, and I wrote these down. So one, two, three, four, five questions. So what we're going to do is we're going to start with those five questions today. And they're all over, metaphorically all over the map. And uh, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think it's going to be good. I hope it's going to be good. And if it's uh, and if you guys don't like it, you let me know. We'll pull a plug on it. Now, a couple other caveats. We're going to just, I'm going to bring up here. And <coughs> I know. Excuse me. I you know years ago when I got when I started my writing career at CSK Publishing, the publisher Ralph Monty. A lot of people who worked there didn't like him, but I he always was wonderful to me. And I recently found him on LinkedIn and reached out to him, and I think he lives in Florida now. And he was the one who started my whole writing career. And uh, and just, uh, I, I, he, he was always, he was, he was, like I say, he was always wonderful to me. He treated me with the utmost of respect. He was older than I He's older than I am, so I was a young, a twenty-year younger guy than he. He was a successful publisher. I was at a hot rod shop, and uh, I remember we went out. He invited me out to lunch, and I don't drink whatsoever. And um, I said to him, "Well, Mister Monty says, call me Ralph. Call me Ralph." I said, "I'm going to be in my work clothes in my shop." He said, "No, no, that's fine. Don't you come as you are. Don't worry about it. Don't worry, you're a working man." And just a salt of the earth guy. I mean, he would be—he had like a two thousand dollar suit on at the time, you know, publishing job, a big publisher. And uh, so he took me to one of his restaurants because CSK Publishing was only about twenty miles away, twenty-five miles away from where I had my my engine shop in Fairfield, New Jersey. So I went over there t- to meet him. Went up to the office. We got in his car. <coughs> I came there in my old. I had a Lincoln, a new Lincoln at the time, Mark 7 LSC, which actually got engaged to Charlotte in, but I, I used to have an old Aspen, a 77 Aspen. I used to drive from the farm to the shop. Thing was great. But anyway, it was all rotted out. I mean, the, the A904 automatic and a, a Super 6, 225 Super 6, two-barrel slant 6. That thing ran fantastic. Literally was unstoppable. But, I mean, it was rotting. It was those years that they had the problem with the rust. Or the, I mean, you couldn't put anything in the trunk. It would fall out. But anyway, so I went with the Aspen to go <laughs> to, to go meet him. And he had a brand-new Acura Legend at the time, I remember. Two-door Legend, Legend Coupe, which actually, even though I'm not a big Acura fan, they were quite nice cars. Uh, it was a second-generation Legend, the bigger one. And uh, it was actually, you know, actually, I mean, they were a nice car. I mean, there's... I mean, you can't deny it. But anyway, especially the Legend Coupe. <coughs> so anyway, uh, excuse me, sorry, I keep saying that. But uh, we go out to lunch, and I don't drink. So he says, oh, he says, he says to me, I like martinis. Would you like to have, have, have a martini with me, right? And I said, oh, I never had a martini. Uh, so... Uh, so he says, how would you like it? I said, I'll have it. So uh, uh, he ordered his first. So I said, I'll have it the same way because I don't know anything about martinis. Boy, was that thing terrible. Ugh. 
uck, but I, I sucked it down and there was an olive in there. I hate olives. And I sucked it down and uh, just out of, uh, I guess, embarrassment. But uh, I think he knew he was smart enough and he knew that I would I didn't drink and probably I tried my best not to not to make faces as I was as <laughs> I was drinking it. But anyway, Ralph Monty always used to say in in life you got to realize when you're not the best looking guy in, at, in at, the best looking guy in the room when you're at a party, and uh, and he always used to say that and he says and you have to you know act accordingly and respond accordingly. So being introspective, I know that when I start to talk about something technical that my wife says I roll the people's eyes up in their head. And the reason why I'm telling you is because I go into too much detail, I go into, I go too long or what have you, and I am going to do my best to not do this with the hot rod terms, the, the multi-part series, getting to know hot rod terms, right? So the thing is that I'm going to give you a basic overview of the questions or the topic, there's a lot of very good literature books written on these topics ad nauseum. I'm not going to try to cover everything there, but cover everything on the podcast, but give you a bullet point based upon what this what this listener is going to say, reader, because I'm so used to the magazine world. What this listener had said to me is that he wanted to know some, so have a basic understanding of it. So I am. That is what I'm going to do. <coughs> excuse me if I ever stop coughing and uh, I'm going to so I'm not going to go into big big detail and hopefully I give you enough to understand and then if you choose to carry that education further we could either open a dialogue and we could do that privately or like I said there's a lot of good texts and books out there and what have you for you to take take it and expand your education on that particular hot rod topic you ready so now the other thing is that what i wanted to uh to tell you is to explain on this first episode of getting to know hot rod terms or i'll probably think of a better name for it than that twelve i may be talking hot rod who knows but i don't think an entitled of the podcast after I get done recording it. So obviously that's not happening at the moment. But, excuse me, you have to truly realize what the term hot rod means. And I tell people I have a hot rod planter because my planter is custom made and uses a, 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 it's based upon a John Deere 7000 max emerge series but has a custom built frame on 28 inch rows not 30 inch rows all right 28 inch rows it has keaton seed firmers on it it has precision planting seed meters on it it has shoop 13 wave no-till coulters it has uh furrow cruiser closing wheels uh double disc openers so it's this i might say hodgepodge of things it's not a hodgepodge it's what i looked to maximize the performance of every aspect of that planter and truly that is what hot rotting is so it's taking something no matter what it is and maximize maximizing its performance in a certain area so if you were to look at a high yield farmer 
he's actually a hot rod farmer because he's looking to hot rod that seed and he i'm using the term hot rod he's looking to push that seed for the highest amount of yield in his test plot in his competition plot so he's looking to hot so so he's looking to hot rod it so the term hot rod i don't want you to fall into a thing where the guy has to be drag racing or he has to be tractor pulling or circle track racing yes that's one aspect of hot rodding but you could go and you could you could hot rod a chainsaw you could hot rod a lawnmower i actually was in very loose conversations with the guy james condon who did the video on fixing my generator (coughs) that i worked hand in hand with i said to him i would love for he and i to get together and hot rod a portable generator so take his his knowledge of the power head my knowledge of the engine take them cross over together right and then then take a take a whatever whatever brand generator it is right and take it apart and hot rod it so in other words i'd like to put ceramic bearings in it i'd like to put coatings on the engine i'd like to run more compression i would like to say to him let's let's get together and see who we could have rewind the stator and the rotor to get less total harmonic distortion let's do this let's do that to it and so basically in essence is that you're taking something that was factory built because everything that comes from a factory (coughs) excuse me i'm so sorry is a compromise and compromise in, in 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 course compromise and in in a, the ability to build it inexpensively which comes back to cost in a different way and um and throw that all to the wind because lots of times that's all it's hot rotting is about throwing it all to the wind getting back to the analogy of the high yield farmer he's gonna he's gonna nurse that, that seed and he's gonna spoon feed that seed and not say well it's gonna cost me a dollar more to, to to put this fungicide on he's gonna do what he can to get the most yield out of it so that's really what hot rodding is now what we're gonna be talking about with the hot rod terms is that these are these are terms that are used in in hot rodding car engines hot rodding tractor pull engines hot rodding for for competition but that does not mean that you cannot take these same theories and apply them to something else now keep in mind is that the true essence of hot rodding is based upon engineering so whereas it's not like you have a if you if you had the opportunity to listen to my my podcast with bob Ida, even if you don't listen to the whole thing just listen to the last couple of minutes of it possibly and i speak about the ford gt and you could speak about a lot of other things but i'm using that because that was a it's a good segue into this and something that's that's current as far as if you happen to listen to it and you know from my perspective is that that car is all about passion and for all the things that people that the designers the engineers at ford put into that car you could tell that they were passionate hot rodders that they're hot rod engineers because when you look at engineering then and look at hot rodding you cannot separate the two they're intrinsically linked with one another 
And so you know, people think that the hot rod world drives the engineering world. Well, the engineering world drives the hot rod world. It's just the idea of what do we choose to apply to it. So if you were to look at using engines, for example, look at like a, there's an old textbook that was used in, in engine in engine engineering when you went to college. It's called Ober. O-B-E-R was the author. And, uh, and if you look at Ober's textbook, right, Yes, it was written under the guise of maybe making a 1942 Studebaker, but all of the dynamics that are in that book to talk about valve opening, cam events, uh, piston piston size, uh, air-fuel ratio, spark advance, friction in the motor, thermal loss in the motor, what have you, that's the essence of hot rodding. So to try to think, to try to separate hot rodding from engineering is like trying to separate the parts of the body. It's just that you have to choose what you want to emphasize. So I'm saying that to those guys that are listening that are not truly hot rodders, all right? But you may be more of a hot rodder, (coughs) excuse me, than you think that you are. All righty, 33 minutes into this. So you get the drift here, and what we're going to basically do is we're going to start to, so this is going to be part one of hot rod terms. All right, so I'm going to go through the one, two, three, four, five questions, I believe, that he asked me. Okay, the first question that he wrote in his letter, (coughs) excuse me, I'm going to put this drag straw and try to get a drink of water because I'm driving you nuts here, I really apologize. Alrighty, I'm back. Hopefully, I'm back better shape than I was. I'm gonna have to go to uh, to a doctor. Sadly, my a doctor, excuse me, a doctor was wonderful to me in my my family over the years. I got pancreatic cancer, so um, I keep him in my prayers. But I have to try to find somebody else. But anyway, all right, so. The first question, getting back on topic here, he has is, what is what do they mean by fire ringing a block and a cylinder head? Okay, if you have an engine block, regardless of the brand, you have a head gasket. And if you look at a head gasket around, and the head gasket could be made of many different materials or a combination thereof, or it could be a copper head gasket, what have you, all different types of, of head gaskets, especially today. But regardless, if you look at the head gasket, where the head gasket actually seals uh, the cylinder bore, and you have to remember the bore is in the block and the combustion chamber, other than with a diesel, all right, or like a flathead, old flathead Ford or flathead lawnmower engine, the combustion chamber is in the cylinder head. But anyway, the majority, and you know, you can never say all because you have a copper head gasket, it's a little bit different, but they have a a raised up metal ring around the perimeter of the bore. <coughs> and that is called for all intents and purposes, it's the it's called the fire ring. 
because that's going to keep the fire in the border, fire being the expansion of the flame. So that's actually your leak site because on a head gasket on a liquid cooled engine there's two potential leak sites there's a combustion leak site and there's a cooling leak site if it's liquid cooled right so the fire ring is the is where it's going to keep the cylinder pressure in the bore the heat in the bore and the expansion of the flame in the bore so it could work against the piston so now (coughs) excuse me what happens is that an engine, any engine, it makes cylinder pressure, and then we convert mathematically cylinder pressure to horsepower, torque, what have you. What what fire ringing, or sometimes they, they, they actually, that's called the fire ring. He used the term, what does fire ringing mean? I think he uh, put two terms together. It's usually what's called O-ringing. And what happens is that you end up with a special tool. You cut a, a groove, which is not deep. You cut a groove that's going to coincide either with the block or with the cylinder head of where the fire ring is on the gasket. And then what you do is that you cut this groove and you install, once it's cut, you install a piece of, usually, historically, it's copper wire, it's a special copper wire. It's not like you're going to Home Depot and buying electrical wire and pulling out the. You put and you you insert this copper wire into the O-ring into into the the groove you should cut. I shouldn't say the O-ring, the groove that you cut, and then that copper wire is going to compress more and seal on the fire ring of the cylinder head or the engine block. The purpose of that being. <laughs> is to <clears throat> is to put more pressure on that firing because of the of the head gasket so that you could keep that pressure and be akin to like a, a, a woman walking in high heels so even though the fire ring is going to be a lot wider on the head gasket than the groove that you're cutting in the wire the copper wire that's in there or steel wire there's all different materials now it used to be copper wire years back but anyway it's not going to see the heat it's going to compress and keep that area tighter so it's going to make a tighter seal in the cylinder and now you could either o-ring the block or you could o-ring the cylinder head there used to be there's two different schools of thought all right uh years ago they would o-ring the block then they started to o-ring the cylinder head and then fell pro about 30 years ago and i had this special tool from bhj it's a company called bhj that makes fixtures and uh, it was a, it was called the fell pro receiver groove head gasket and you would actually o-ring the cylinder head instead of the block and uh used to do that i had the tool for the uh I had the tool, and then you bought adapters for for small block Ford, big block Ford, small block Buick, not small block V6 Buick, uh, small block Chevy, and the same O-ringing tool would cut the groove, but the adapter that you would buy would actually fit that that engine. And in years ago, it used to be the theory of excuse me o-ringing the block because the head has a tendency to shift around that high cylinder the pressure but with this felpro receiver groove gasket uh there was a lot of science there and they used to o-ring the 
head and then use this special this special gasket for that so basically in essence to, to follow my own protocol is that the whole idea is that you want to better seal the seal the cylinder and remember horsepower is cylinder pressure whether it's normally aspirated or supercharged or turbocharged and if you're going to run a lot of pressure be it whether it's a lot of boost pressure a lot of na pressure normally aspirated pressure is that you want to keep the cylinder sealed and that is what o-rigging is about <coughs> okay so next thing we have here what is nitrous oxide and how does it help this is from the same person uh, how does it how does it have an engine make power all right nitrous oxide versus oxides of nitrogen oxides of nitrogen is an emission nitrous oxide in simple terms is mother nature in a bottle it's an it's oxygen in a bottle uh like i say we're gonna make this very simplistic the every engine is an air pump the more air that you could pump through the engine and match it with the proper amount of fuel the the more power it's going to make that's the whole idea of having a supercharger turbocharger all right so you're forcing more air into the engine now excuse me what happens is that nitrous oxide for all intensive purposes making it simple is pure oxygen so what we're basically where is the air that an engine breathes that we breathe is oxygen and (coughs) two percent of the gases so this is pure oxygen and the thing is that it's also used and i don't understand i don't i don't understand or smart enough to know the physiological aspect of it of how it's used by a dentist they call it laughing gas right when you to knock you out but uh, but anyway so but as far as an engine is concerned so what you're doing is you're putting this you're having this bottle and you're feeding the cylinder each cylinder with additional oxygen so pure oxygen you're filtering out all the other stuff the two percent other gases so now you're putting more oxygen in the cylinder so if you're putting more oxygen in the cylinder then the engine is going to make more power regardless because it has more oxygen in its bore so it'd be akin to it breathing better but it's breathing what they call artificially it's not naturally aspirated it's artificial aspiration and what we also call in in hot rodding is a power adder so a supercharger a turbocharger or nitrous oxide is considered a power adder so now the thing is that you cannot add oxygen without taking into consideration if you have to add a corresponding amount of fuel to allow the oxygen all to be consumed during combustion so if you were to just add oxygen (coughs) excuse me not to add any additional fuel then two things would happen is that number one you would not take advantage of consuming all of that oxygen when the engine is running because you want to consume it that's what's going to make it's like uptake on a plant if you put have if you have uh, nutrients in the soil but they're tied up and you can't the plant can't take them in it's useless it's like having vitamins on a shelf you can't open a bottle 
in the closet. So that, and then you will end up also creating a very, very lean air fuel ratio, and that'll be a very high temperature air fuel ratio, and you'll end up burning a hole in the piston. <coughs> Excuse me, or blowing up the engine or combination of the above. So, so nitrous oxide works. It's mother nature in a bottle. Uh, it comes out very cold due to the vapor, rate of vaporization chemically of that. So which chills the intake manifold, which is good because it makes so it's very benign to heat. Uh, you could be, you know, with a drag strip 110 degrees outside and the nitrous motor doesn't care because it's being chilled by the, the, the expansion of this nitrous oxide as it's fed into the induction track of the engine. But, but most importantly, it has to be met with a corresponding additional amount of fuel and then it has to be met with a corresponding uh, decrease in the amount of spark advance the engine has because spark advance is giving the piston, uh, excuse me, giving the flame a head start to keep up with the piston. So when you add nitrous oxide to an engine, it is going to, the flame is going to travel faster, so it needs less of a head start to keep up with the piston. So in essence what are you doing you're just feeding the artificially feeding the engine very pure <coughs> oxygen <coughs> from a bottle and uh when i had my shop we had a mustang that we ran the pro 50 mustang and that was a there's different slangs for nitrous oxide you could call it on the spray on the nas some people call it on the bottle some people say it's on the juice those are all slangs for nitrous motor so you say oh, the thing is on a spray or i'm going to spray this guy you know you this guy doesn't know what's happening i'm going to spray him when i get down a track meeting you're not going to take a garden hose and spray him but he doesn't know that you're running nitrous and he'll have it hidden and when you when you're going down the drag strip you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna hit the button and evoke it and then when you evoke this there's mechanisms that come into play where you add fuel and usually take the timing out or through electronic controls all right so that's basically in essence what it is so what is nitrous oxide it is a power adder <coughs> it's mother it's mother nature in a bottle and if you look back at its history it was used i believe first by the by the americans during world war ii to as a power adder later on in the war power adder uh, for fighter planes so for fighters to give them a power shot and i think they used to have 600 pounds of nitrous back there and, and don't hold me to it if i remember I, I that's right church wrong pew so really it came out of the war effort to so talk about it. it wasn't that drag races invented it is it came out of the war effort and then i believe also that i that the germans the germans had beat us to the most days to the marketplace to the war front with with a jet engine fighter and it was the messerschmitt I don't know if it was the me 109 i may be wrong with that but anyway but the first messerschmitt first german jet fighter that was shot down was shot down by american i it may have been a mustang 
I'm not 100% sure. Don't hold me to that anymore. But it was on, it was a, it was on the bottle. It was on the spray. We sprayed his ass. So the German didn't even know what the hell was going on because we had this piston engine and they juiced him. And he ended up shooting down the first, so the first German jet to get shot down uh, was by a bottle baby, right? On the bottle, on the spray, on the Nas. So that is what nitrous is all about. Next thing, he asked me, billet engine parts. Now, when you say something is billet, historically it is aluminum, and that meant that it's made from a block of aluminum. So you take, so if you have a billet engine block, you have this big block of aluminum, and it's got 10 zillion hours of machining in it, and it is and it's made from a solid mass, a solid piece. <coughs> so that is what 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 billet is and there was a big a big push about 30 years ago with the advent of cnc which stands for computerized numeric control uh machining especially mills and because they because to make something out of billet you have to take this big piece of of aluminum whatever the shape is depending on what you're going to make it probably weighs 10 times what the end product is going to be and then you have to do all this machining and with the advent of the cnc machine it became a lot easier or less burdensome to do it that way than to go and to uh try to not that you couldn't do it on a milling machine by hand uh i don't mean by hand by uh by manual controls but it was a lot less tedious with cnc so so during so with the advent of the cnc machine and its practical application and a lot of hot rod parts were made out of billet there was two different schools of thought with billet depending upon what it was used for uh lots of times its expansion rate and there's all i'm not a metallurgist there's all different types of aluminums and what have you and densities and lots of times the expansion rate is a little bit different than it would be if it was cast so but that is what billet is so billet engine parts are, are usually made out of aluminum and they're made from one solid piece so they're 100 percent machined <coughs> they're not they're machined into the shape that the end that the end part is going to be so uh that is what billet in some instances they're stronger in some instances they don't have as much thermal stability if you look at a lot of these guys today with these drag race engines a lot of them are billet blocks and that is to excuse me to give the block a lot of stability because it's one solid mass so that is what a a billet part is and there's a ton of machinery and a ton of machining and a ton of cost in it all righty next thing on the same theme this listener asked me forged versus cast parts and usually when it uh even though you um, usually identify that with pistons there could be other parts for instance like a rocker arm or that that you could say was forged versus cast well basically in essence a forging process means that you're taking something and you you through through mechanical force which would be considered mechanical stress you're reshaping it all right so if you look at 
Uh, if you look at a, uh, let's say, maybe this is not a great analogy, but it's a practical analogy. If you look years ago and you're shaping a horseshoe, right? So you have this piece of metal and you're heating it and you're pounding it and you're reshaping it. Historically, <coughs> with true forging, you're not really applying heat to make it malleable. To uh, You're using pressure to force a piece of metal uh, whether it's aluminum, whether it's cast iron, you, well, let's, let's stick with cast iron. So it's cast iron, all right, and you're forcing it into a different shape, all right, whereas a cast part, and like I say, the best analogy is with pistons, is that there's forged aluminum pistons and cast aluminum pistons. A cast is that you were to melt the aluminum and you would pour it into a mold, let's say that you would pour a cake mix or uh or uh, a cupcake mix into into uh into a tray and fill it and fill and fill up the tray and make the cupcakes so when the with a with a cast part the the material is molten it's heated and molten it's in a liquid form and it's poured into a mold and then as it cools and solidifies it has that it takes that shape and then oftentimes there's machining that's done to it afterwards for example, you take a piston out and you just do nothing to it. So here it is, your piston. So, but that is what the difference is. So forge, you need to have a special. You're using extreme mechanical pressure to force this metal into a into a new form and a new shape, whereas you're melting it with a cast part and pouring it and pouring it in. As far as pistons are concerned. <laughs> there's pluses and minuses to both uh cast parts at least are less expensive than than uh forged parts they also have a a a smaller or less of a rate of thermal expansion so you could fit a cast piston to a bore what they call piston to wall clearance so you could fit it much tighter which makes the engine a lot quieter especially when it's cold and also has a better 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 job of controlling oil especially during engine warm-up uh whereas if you have a a a, a forging <clears throat> that its rate of expansion is is greater and you need to run a looser fit piston so it's very common for an engine with forged pistons especially years ago that almost sound like a diesel when it was cold and they would call that piston slap because the piston had to <coughs> with the piston and the bore the piston to wall clearance was greater because it, it needed to have that expansion rate when it was warm whereas you have a cast piston you fit it very very uh tight so it's much quieter less expensive a cast piston ends to have in theory uh has the ability to uh to, to shatter easier under detonation extreme detonation or if you uh extreme cylinder pressure let's say you're using nitrous oxide right there's all different procedures today metallurgies today but but so there are plus and minus plus a forged piston is more expensive to make so in essence it's stronger has to be fit looser all right so like anything in life <coughs> there is a compromise and based upon what 
you're accomplishing. And uh, I've built engines with both forge pistons and cast pistons and billet pistons. So, uh, so the thing is that depending upon the application. So if you're repowering, let's say you're doing your your, whatever, your pickup truck over, and uh, you know uh, there's there's lots of applications that a cast piston is much better. It's quieter, better oil control. Let's piston to piston to you know to skirt clearance and uh the cylinder wall to skirt clearance so there's a lot of so you have to really look at it so you can't just say well you know it's uh, you may hot rod an engine with cast pistons the next one you're building you're putting forge pistons in okay so he had one more question and there was bolted versus studded cylinder heads <coughs> very very common most production engines use most production engines use uh, cylinder bolts. Some bigger diesels may use cylinder studs instead of bolts. Basically, in essence, to make it very simplistic, is that when you take a bolt and you and you have a bolt, a head bolt, or a specially designed bolt, and you're going to attach the cylinder head to the block, and you're through putting the block that bolt in through the top that you have the head sitting on the block on the dowels with the head gasket and you're putting the bolt in and you and you're talking the bolt down to get the proper amount of pressure and seal is that when you're tightening that bolt you're actually pulling on the block and you have the you have the propensity for the bore which is in the block to start to distort from the cylinder head bolts tightening and being pulled on it. Whereas, so you're actually pulling the block and the cylinder head together to try to compress and seal the cylinder. When you put a, when you stud the head and you put studs in, the studs are not screwed in much more than finger tight. And then what you're basically doing is that the the nut on the stud is what's being tightened, so you're not pulling and distorting the bore to the same degree that you would with a bolt. So it's ideal scenario to have to have studs holding a cylinder head to a block in lieu of bolts. But the problem that you have with studs is that given the application. <clears throat> if you need to pull the head off you may not have the room to pull the head up far enough off the stud to clear whatever that is whether it's a combine whether it's a race car whether it's a pickup truck or what have you whereas this the bolt gives you the ability to remove the bolt and then take the head out you'd separate the head and the block much easier than you would with a stud so on our Mustang, we used to use studs all right, and if we had to pull the head off, then the motor was coming out. So most race cars, uh, most of the applications like that use studs instead of heads, head bolts, and the, the, there are other aspects of it, but the, ba- the biggest thing is that you're not distorting the bore as you would with a bolt. And believe it or not, as I said, those studs are not put in that tightly. They put in a little bit more <coughs> than finger tight. And then it's the dynamics of you pushing the cylinder head down, not pulling the bolt out, which is making the difference. So 
and uh, like I said, there's a couple other benefits to it, but that really is the core. It's called it's called bore distortion, and uh, bore distortion is something that every engine fights, and that's lots of times why they make a billet block because they don't want the they want the bore to be strong or the block to be strong. It doesn't have a tendency to distort. So the ceiling the ceiling of the cylinder with this with the uh, head gasket and the cylinder head and the bore distortion it's like anything in life is that you try to find a happy median where you're not distorting the bore and then uh but you want to keep that cylinder pressure in so it's it's always a compromise in life so hopefully you guys on you know enjoyed this a little bit you know i'll wait to hear back from you guys if i don't hear anything too bad no too many nasty letters i'll do a part two in a couple of weeks but i'm going to ask for you guys to send me the questions as this gentleman did that you want answered they're going to be all over the map but they should be fun and today we basically covered fire ringing a block and so on that or o-ringing is probably a more accurate way to say it nitrous oxide billet engine parts forged versus cast parts and then bolted versus studded sound head so i apologize again for my sickness and my coughing and my gagging and what have you but i want you to know that the hot rod farmer's poem for you the american farmer and rancher my beloved beloved america you have a blessed day and thank you so much i'll catch you next week bye bye